All right, all right. Good morning, Four Points Church. How, how are we doing today? We doing good? We doing good this morning? It's so great to see you guys. Y'all can grab a seat. Um, man, I'm so excited to be hanging out with you guys this morning. I'm excited about a couple of things this morning. First of all, I'm excited that uh, the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. Amen. That, that gets me excited every morning, especially every Sunday morning when we get together and, and get to celebrate that. But I'm also a little bit, um, I'm a little bit like jacked up this morning because I am from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Any, any, any Louisiana folks out there? I met somebody in the first, after the first service. Uh, she was born in Lake Charles, Louisiana, which is crazy, small world. But I'm from Lake Charles, Louisiana, and my LSU Tigers took home a victory yesterday against the mighty Alabama Crimson Tide. Listen, if you're not an Alabama fan in here, if you are an Alabama fan, I'm sorry. If you're not an Alabama fan, we, not, we may not be pulling for the same team, but we got a common enemy. You know what I'm saying? And that enemy went down yesterday, and I am, I'm, I'm so excited about that. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, man, I've spent a lot of time in this past week uh, praying for you guys, praying for, for this time and for this moment and what God wanted to say to us today. And I feel like uh, he, he gave me a message for this morning out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to, to 2 Corinthians, that's going to be kind of our main text for today. We're going to hop over to Genesis 3 in a little bit, but 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is going to be where we're at. And I would love if we could pray together uh, and just ask God to be with us in this time and speak to us, and then we'll dive right in. So you guys pray with me. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to come together today. Lord, to open your word to hear your voice. We know that your spirit is present with us today. We know that you are here, that you are alive, that you are speaking, that you want to do something specific in every single one of our lives today during this time. And so God, we just pray that, uh, Lord, your word would go forth like you promised and that it would not return void. But God, that it would do something in my heart and our hearts that you would work in us. God, I pray that I would completely disappear and you would completely appear. You would speak to us today. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So uh, when I was in college, um, I decided one year, as many of us have, heading into the new year, that I was going to get jacked, ripped, hit the gym. Like this year, 2012 was the year for me to get in shape. And me and some buddies, we were like going to do it together. So we decided to do this thing called P90X. Anybody, any P90Xers in here? Yeah, it's like a video workout that promises that at the end of it, you'll look like the guy on the cover. And uh, well, it didn't work for me. I'll put it that way. So maybe it'll work for you. It didn't work for me. So me and some buddies, we're going to do this like P90X workout. I live in Clemson. We're going to get together in Anderson to do this workout. And so I get up like the earliest that I had ever been up in my life at that point, like 5 a.m., my alarm goes off, I hop in the car, gaslight comes on. Now, I'm a broke college student, so that gaslight means risk it, right? Roll the dice, You'll, we'll find some change later, just like, you're, you're probably going to be fine. Well, as you can imagine, uh, driving the back roads from Clemson to Anderson, 5 o'clock in the morning, freezing cold outside, pitch black, dark, my car starts doing the if you've ever run out of gas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, it's like shaking, but you're like, oh no, maybe it's something other than the fact that I'm about to run out of gas that's actually wrong. Nope, it was the fact that I was about to run out of gas, and I did, in the middle of the road, 
didn't even really know where I was. Uh, and so I like kind of get pulled over to the side, but not really. And it's dark and I'm like around a curve. So it's kind of a dangerous spot to be in. And I start calling my friends um, in, in Clemson to come get me. And I don't know about your friends in college, but my friends in college didn't wake up at 5.30 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. or 7.30 a.m. or So I was like, this is, I'm gonna be here for a long time. Luckily, one of them, I got a hold of him. He came and picked me up. But I learned that day something that I already knew but it like made sense to me on a whole nother level. And that is that uh, your car's not going anywhere without gas. You're not going anywhere without power. If you don't have power to the engine, you're staying right where you're at. And that's true for a car, but that's also true for you today as a Christian and for me. That without the power of God in our lives, we're not going anywhere. We're certainly not gonna get where we wanna go. Without the power of God in our lives, we're like a car without gas. We're stuck, we're stationary, we have no chance to get where we need to go. And so today we're going to talk about having the power of God in our lives. And I don't know what you need the power of God in your life for this morning. Maybe you need like a miracle. Maybe there are some marriages in here that are on the rocks and you need the power of God to show up and do something. Maybe there are some relationships that are broken and fractured that you need the power of God to come in and like heal Maybe there's some physical healing that needs to happen in this room today. You've got a sickness or something that you're battling that you pray and ask God that he would heal, that his power would take care of. Maybe you need patience with your children and that's the miracle that you need today. Because let's not act like God's power and his miraculous work only happens in like the the crazy supernatural things, but we need God's power to like do anything, right? to have patience with our children, to have patience with our spouses, nobody, nobody, no elbows, to, to get along with our boss and treat them with respect. We need the power of God to sustain us and lead us into everything that God's called us into. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about this specifically. And as we talk about this and Paul talks about this, the way to get God's power in your life is probably not what you expect. In fact, I would say it's a little bit counterintuitive to probably what you're expecting to hear. He says this, uh, picking up in verse seven. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pled with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Let me just stop right here and say, um, I've been doing a lot of reading this week, a lot of studying this week, trying to figure out um, what, what this means. Here's the conclusion that scholars have come to. They don't know. They don't know exactly. So if you came in here and you read that and you don't know what that means, congratulations. You know exactly as much as most biblical scholars on what this is. But um, here's what we do know about the, the thorn in Paul's flesh, the affliction that he felt, this thing that God allowed in his life to work things out in him. It was deeply personal to Paul, right? So the thorn in Paul's flesh was not a politician somewhere. It wasn't his boss at work. Those could have been a pain in his behind, but they weren't a thorn in his flesh. This is, this is something deep. This is something real. This is something painful. This is something that is, that is actively causing Paul so much turmoil that he three times directly, desperately begs God to remove this certain specific thing. And I want you to listen to what God says back to Paul in response, because I think it's what he said to Paul, and I think it's what he has to say to a lot of us in here today. 
Paul prays three times and God says this, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So point number one today is this, you have a weakness. Turn to somebody next to you, look them in the eyes and say, I have a weakness. Come on, play along with me. I know you don't want to, I know it feels weird. Tell somebody, say, I have a weakness. Doesn't that feel weird to say? Isn't that even just like a little bit cringy to even like have to say out loud that like, I have a weakness, that you have a weakness? Why is that? I mean, I think it's probably a lot to do with the world that we live in today, right? Like we live in a strength promoting world, don't we? We live in a culture and an environment where we are going to promote, display, put out there our strengths through social media, Facebook, Instagram, right? Like we're gonna put the picture of our family that's like perfect, everybody's smiling, we're on the beach, we're all wearing white and khaki and it's amazing and nobody has to know that it took 12,000 attempts to get that one picture, Right, but we want that to be reality, not the 12,000 like mistakes. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna put out there those things. We're gonna take pictures of our food. Like, a, like yeah, you know, you see on Instagram somebody grilling a steak and it's just like this massive, amazing looking steak on a perfect day with the sun setting and the kids are playing in the backyard or somebody posts a, a, a gorgeous looking crepe. You know, crepes are in right now. You know, you, somebody puts their like crepe on their brunch with the, with the ladies and, you know, it's like all perfect and it's got the little, nobody Instagrams like the McDonald's that you picked up in the drive-thru after soccer practice when you're chunking chicken nuggets in the back seat because you didn't have time to grocery shop that week. Like that's not, that's not what we're putting on Instagram and we're putting out there for people. We're putting out the, 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 per, the perfection the perception that we've got it all together, the this is what's amazing, look how, look how strong I am, look how good I am, look how great my life is, and, and we're gonna not put the things that we don't want people to see. And yes, I believe that's a modern thing. I mean, you guys notice how obsessed we are with superhero movies, right? Like, we're not going to see, you know, Larry, father of three, just wakes up and does the right thing every day and comes home. Nobody's going to see that. Nobody's going to see Cindy, Mother of two, got everyone dressed into school on time, successfully. Like, that's not, you're not going to go see that in the movie theater. You're going to go see some incredibly beautiful person who also has superpowers save the world. That's what we pay to go see, right? Like, the actors that they pick are just gorgeous, and they have superpowers, and they have a brief moment of, like, struggle, but then they save the world, and it's all great. And we pay money to go see that and then try to feel good about our lives after. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But that's the society that we live in. And I, I, and I do believe that, that it's a modern problem, but I think it's a modern twist on an ancient problem. I think it's a modern take on a problem that has deep, deep roots in humanity. So if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 3, let's take a look at where I think this all started. And while you're in Genesis 3, I'm gonna kind of catch us up. God has created um, the whole world, everything, the Garden of Eden. He creates man, he creates woman, he officiates the first wedding. He puts them in the garden together. And then the Bible says this in Genesis 2.25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not 
ashamed. And all the married people said, amen, amen, amen. They were naked and they were not ashamed. Listen, some versions say does not, they did not feel shame. They were naked. They were completely vulnerable and exposed before each other and felt no shame. But we know things don't stay that way long, right? Because the next verses, Satan comes on the scene and does what Satan does best. And he lies and manipulates and twists. And he convinces Adam and Eve that, that to eat this fruit and to know what God knows is better than the way that they exist now. And so they eat it and they take of the fruit and they, they sin. Sin enters the world. And then what's the very next thing that happens? It's Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the first thing that they did when they sinned is they realized their exposure and their vulnerability in front of each other and they covered themselves. They felt shame for the first time and the first thing they do is cover it. And then what do they go on to do? Verse eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day which would be awesome, by the way, right? Like you live in a garden where like at evening, at the cool of the day, God is literally walking through. Man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So their nakedness, their shame caused them to have vertical shame I'm sorry, horizontal shame with each other, right? They covered from each other being able to see their exposures and their vulnerabilities, but they also had a vertical fear. They were ashamed sideways and and they were scared vertically. So they covered their vulnerabilities and we do the same thing today, right? We promote our strengths. We put out there the things that we're good at, the things that we wanna be celebrated for, the things that we perceive as, as the, the things that make us who we are in a good way. We put those out there, but then we stuff down our weaknesses. We hide our weaknesses. We bury our weaknesses. We maybe medicate our weaknesses. We don't want people to know these things. Please celebrate me for the job that I do at work, but don't ask how things are going at home. Please, please see how, how good of a Christian I am coming to church and everything, but don't ask me about how my relationship with God's really going. Please see my family and everything that seems all together, but, but don't ask about like how I'm awake at night all through the night because I'm so stressed out at work. We wanna hide those things and put forward our strengths. And we do that to each other. And we do the same thing Adam and Eve did with God. We hide now, we don't do it quite the same way. I don't think we like run and hide behind a tree from God. Maybe you do. And hey, you know, at least you're honest. <laughs> Most of us do it in a more uh, subversive, subtle way. We do it with busyness, right? We just fill our lives with constantly uh, going, going, doing this, being a part of this, staring at the screens of our phones, watching TV, binging Netflix, playing, you know, on this team, going here, going there. And we fill our lives with so much busyness that we actually never have to stop and be silent and listen. And you know why? Because we are terrified that if we ever got alone and silent with God, 
that it would go something like this. Well, 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 look who decided to show up. Last time this happened was 2014 when your mom got sick, so good to see you again. Let's go ahead and go through the files of sins since then. We'll, we'll just go ahead and start with 2014, work our way up. We're terrified that if we get alone with God, that's how it's going to be, that he's got like this, this like a bunch of spiritual spankings to give us, that he's just been saving up for the moment that we actually get quiet and listen to him. And the enemy has us so convinced that if we'll cover our vulnerabilities from each other and if we'll hide from God, that that's our best life because he knows the reality of point number two. And point number two is this. The point of entry for God's power is your weakness. The point of entry into your life for God's power is not your strength, it is your weakness. And we know this is true at salvation, right? Like we know that this is true the moment that we give our lives to Christ because listen to what the Bible describes us as apart from a relationship with Jesus. It says that we are dead, that we are lost, that we are without hope, that we are enemies of God. So before we give our lives to Christ, that's what describes us. Dead, lost, no hope, enemy of God. And, 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 and by the work of the Holy Spirit, we realize, God, I need you. I have no hope in and of myself. I have no chance in and of myself. I can't, I can't be good enough. I can't work hard enough. I, I'm, I'm lost. I'm broken. I need your salvation. I trust you. Please save me. And God saves us and his power just explodes into our lives in that moment where we trust him with everything and we acknowledge our weakness and our inability apart from him to do it on our own. That same power that saves you is what sustains you. That same power that God used to transform your soul, to take you from a dead person to an alive person, from a lost person to a found person, that is the same power at work in you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And, and too often we treat it as if God has divine buyer's remorse. Right, like he saved us. He did this incredibly powerful, you know, miracle work to save us and turn us from a dead person to an alive person. Then he went, oh my gosh, I did not know you were this jacked up. Like if I had known that you like can only read your Bible like once a week and that you're, you're, you were still gonna cuss and you were still gonna look at that on the internet and you were still gonna do those same things, oh, I don't even know if I would have saved you, but I already did. So here's the deal. You're gonna get into heaven one day but from now until then, I just need you to like work as hard as you can to get all this junk out of your life. That's not how God treats us. That is not what he has for us. In fact, it is anti-gospel to believe that because the whole point of the gospel is that you can't do it on your own, is that you need his power, his spirit, him working inside of you to do anything. And he makes us come alive by that power and he sustains us and grows us through that power. So, I have a 17-month-old son um, at home. He's our, our first child. I think we have a picture of, um, of my family. Yeah, that's my wife, Summer, and my little boy, Mason. And what we didn't know when we took this picture is that Summer's pregnant. So she is uh, 18 weeks pregnant today with our, our next child, going to be a boy. They're going to be 21 months apart. We can clap for that. I, I would appreciate it. I'm pretty, pretty pumped. Um, yeah, so we're having another little boy 21 months apart. So everything in my house is going to get destroyed. I've just already accepted that. He's, he's made it pretty clear um, in his 
17, 18 months of life. So uh, 17 month old son at the house and he started doing this funny thing um, where like he's kind of self-aware when he's going to the bathroom. You know what I'm saying? So when he's going number two, he like feels this sense of shame. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Like he's kind of embarrassed that he's doing it. So he like goes off to like the corner of the room, but then he like takes a power stance and puts his hand on the wall and like grimaces and grunts. You know, so it's like, okay, you're kind of being sneaky, but like clearly everyone knows what you're doing, right? And, and what I, I kind of want to do is sit him down and be like, son, first of all, I, I can see you. <laughs> like, like I, know, I know exactly what you're doing. I, 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 can, I can see you. Second of all, who do you think's going to clean you up? You know, your mom, right? <laughs> Don't tell her I said that. She was at the first service, so I didn't make that joke. I do clean dirty diapers, okay? I do, I do, I do. Um, I, I don't love it, but, but I love him. And so I'm not going to let him walk around in his mess. And I certainly, certainly don't want him to try and clean it. Right? Because if you've ever seen a child try and clean anything, you know that that is that thing that they're trying to clean is about to get way dirtier. And so are they. (laughs) That, that, the last thing that I want is for him to try to clean it up on his own. And, and listen to me, Christian. God sees you. He knows you better than you know you. He knew every sin you were going to commit and that you ever will commit before you were ever born and he died for you anyway. Isn't that amazing? He sees you. And and what he's not doing is hoping that you clean it up yourself because he loves you. Listen, I love my son. I want what's best for him. I don't want him in his own mess feeling ashamed. I'm gonna clean him up because I love him and because I want what's best for him. God loves you. You are his son or his daughter. He has bought you with his own blood and he wants to save you and redeem you and work in you. Your job is not to clean it up on your own through your own strength and own power and flesh. Your job is to trust him and allow him to do what he's promised to do. And so as we conclude here today, here's the question that we need to ask. What do we do? Like, what, like what do we do with this? If, if God's power is what saved us, it's what's sustaining us, and our job isn't to cover or hide if we're not supposed to work harder and try harder and do better and clean ourselves up, then what are we supposed to do? Well, there's two things. The first one is this, be transparent with God. Be transparent with God. So Psalm 123, 23 through 24 says this, search me, O God. Imagine being David, King David and writing this to God. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Can I tell you this today? Whatever you're going through, whatever you've done, whatever you're in the middle of doing, whatever questions or doubts you have, God can handle it. He's not afraid of your questions. If you're angry at God, he's not scared of that. He can handle it. 
our job is to be transparent before him. Is to say, God, I, I, am, I am exhausted. God, I feel like I have no hope. God, I, I question if you're even real, if you're even there, and if you are, how you could possibly be good if this is going on. God, I'm, I am wrestling with this. I'm struggling with this. I know that this isn't what's best, but I keep going back to it. I try as hard as I can not to, and I do good for a little while, and then I fall right back in, and it makes me wonder if, I've even, if I'm even saved or if this is even worth it. Whatever it is for you, he can handle it. Bring it to him. Be transparent before him. Listen, God does not want or need your churchy prayer that sounds right, but is totally disconnected from your heart. He's not hoping that we just sort of throw up generic sounding things so that we can check a prayer box. He wants to talk to you. He wants to hear you. He wants to know the real you, the real things that you're struggling with, the real depths of your hurt, of your pain, of your struggle, of your wrestle. He wants to talk to you about that. Be transparent with him. Don't hide behind a tree or anything else. Be real before God. The second thing is be real with others. I think this is probably the harder of the two. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, listen to this, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Some of you, you're forgiven. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. You're forgiven for your sins, but you're not healed because you're holding on to it. You're bottling it up. There's something that you did that you've never told anyone about. There's something that you're doing right now that no one else knows about. There's wrestles and struggles and and pressures and anxieties that you feel that no one else knows about. And God says, listen, I love you. You're you're, you're forgiven. I, I, I paid everything for you. I just want you to be healed. I just want you to walk in what I made available to you. You can be forgiven and you can be healed when you're willing to confess, to open up, to be honest, to be vulnerable, to take the fig leaves off. Let, let somebody else see what's really going on. And people ask me all the time, well, how, how much exactly do I need to say? Because I've been in a lot of groups and maybe you have too, where it's kind of like, yeah, man, I, uh, I messed up like a month ago. Okay, let, let me put it to you this way. How much do you need to confess? How healed do you want to be? Because you can confess a little bit and be healed a little bit. Or you can let somebody hear all the junk, all the nastiness, all the things that terrify you, all the things that make you feel so ashamed that the enemy's whispering lies to you about. And God can start the healing process through his power in you right there. Listen to me. You are never more free than when you have no secrets. You are never more free than when you have no secrets. King David said, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away. And some of you feel that. I've felt that. Gosh, when I'm holding things in that I know don't need to be in there, it is, it is like my insides are rotting with guilt and shame. And God wants to heal all of that. If you'll let somebody in, if you'll trust him, if you'll confess it.
and maybe in here today, um, you're not, like there's not a particular sin that you're pointing at, but like there's something going on in your life that no one else knows about. Like you're waking up all through the night because you're so stressed about work. You are deeply depressed. Maybe you even thought about ending it. And you haven't talked to anybody else about it. You need to get that out because there's healing on the other side of it. And I want to end with this today. It's the rest of of 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. And I think that there's so much encouragement to be had for us in these verses. So listen to what Paul says about his weakness. He says, therefore, since, since God's power is made perfect in my weakness... I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Let me ask you this. What was the most powerful, strongest moment of Jesus' life? Was it when he broke some loaves of bread and fed like thousands and thousands of hungry people? Was it walking through the streets of Jerusalem, healing blind eyes and lame legs? Was it getting out, you know, in a storm in the middle of a sea and walking on it and then speaking and calming it as calm as glass? Were one of those his most powerful moments? Because I would make the case that our Savior's most powerful moment was him beaten, bloodied, nailed to a wooden cross. And with his final breath saying, it is finished. And in that breath, in that weakest moment, lowest of lows, Jesus crushed the head of Satan forever. He gutted sin and death. He paved the way for us to be made alive with him. He took the punishment that we deserved. He finished it forever. Jesus' weakest moment physically, the point that, that everyone was laughing and scoffing, that he was dying and bleeding out was the moment that he was the strongest. And here's why that's some good news for some of us in here today, because maybe you feel weak Maybe you feel like you're at your lowest moment. Maybe there is something that you're struggling with and wrestling with, and I'm here today to tell you that when you are your weakest, you are your strongest. That your weakness is the place where God's power wants to be made known in your life. That when we come to God with our weakness, he is able to make his power known and activated in our lives like no other time. And so I just believe that there are some marriages that are going to get healed and restored in this room because there's going to be some weak people who open up to God and others. I believe that there's going to be some reconciliation in relationships in this room because there's some weak people in this room. I believe that there are some addictions that are going to be set free from because there's some weak people in this room. And because of your weakness, God's strength is gonna come alive in you. Because when you're willing to be open and vulnerable, take the fig leaves off, get out from behind the tree and let God and others see 
where you need help, where you fall short, where you've failed. God's power will meet you right there. So if, every, if everyone would bow your head and close your eyes, if there's anybody in here today and you've never given your life to Christ, like you're listening to me preaching and you're thinking, I'm 100% weakness. I, I have never accepted salvation. I have never given my life to Christ. I've never surrendered to him, asked for his power to come into my life. And I know I need to do that. I wanna give you an opportunity right now. If you will raise your hand above your head, we wanna bring somebody alongside of you that can help you help walk you through what it looks like to give everything to Jesus. I just wanna give you one moment. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? And the second invitation is this. If there's anybody in here today and you feel weak, there is something going on, something you're battling, something you're wrestling with, something happening in your life that you need God's power present in your life. I would just love to pray for you. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would raise your hand above your head right now and raise it high and leave it up, I believe that there is power in prayer. I believe this is a church that believes there's power in prayer. So if you'll leave your hand up, one more second. Thank you. Father, you see these hands. God, you see raised hands and open hearts. And so God, I pray that whatever is going on, God, whatever sin issue, whatever struggle, whatever weakness, whatever situation, God, that your power would be made known in such a profound, strong, clear way in the lives of the men and women that have been brave enough and honest enough to raise their hands. Lord, I pray that you would bring people alongside of them that they can open up to. I pray that you give them the courage and strength to be real before you and real before others. God, that you would take away the shame and the fear that wants to hold them back from letting others in. And God, I pray for, God, I just pray for supernatural peace in their lives. God, the, the kind of peace that surpasses understanding. Let, it, let, it, let your peace bypass their brains and go straight to their hearts right now. God, fill them with more of your power, of your goodness, of the, your spirit that's gonna work in them to bring about the good things that you have planned for them. We love you, Jesus. We ask all these things in your name, amen.